Father, we want to come to you today. <clears throat> and we want to thank you for the joy. The joy that we have in Christ. The joy that awaits us in heaven. But even, Lord, for the joys that come even in this life and in this world. Little taste of heaven. Little splashes of heaven coming into our life. Every time we hear the laughter of a child. Every time we have any degree of comfort in the cold weather like we're having now. Anytime we have any sense of peace and enjoyment, just a foretaste of what is going to be ours permanently and forever in heaven. So we thank you for that. The birth of a child or a grandchild, the love of a spouse, friendships, all of those kind of things are gifts of God. And we thank you for those and we rejoice in those. But you also told us that we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And so today, as we think about people who are sick, as we think about people who are grieving, as we think about people who are struggling, as we think about people who are defeated and about to give up, we just want to say, would you cause them in their hearts to rejoice in the Lord always? And would you cause them to feel the presence of the Lord and the joy of the Lord that this Holy Spirit of God would bear witness with their spirit that they are children of God? <clears throat> would you help us, Lord, to have our eyes open so that when we see people who are struggling, we can at least pray for them and maybe we can befriend them, maybe we can encourage them, maybe we can do something practical for them. But may it always, at all times, be by your Spirit and for your glory. And Lord, we pray that we would be more compassionate. We pray that we would be more aware. We pray that we would be more loving. And uh, we can only find that from you because we're not going to get that from anything or anyone in this world. So help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus. And we pray that as we open up your word this morning, we pray that we would see wonderful things in your word. We pray your spirit would speak to us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon the lost and draw them to Jesus. And we pray that when we leave here this morning, we would leave here loving you more and being more like you so that we can serve you better during the week. And this we pray for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you would uh, take your Bibles and uh, open the uh, scriptures to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, and then go to the fifth chapter of the book of John. And we uh, started this last week talking about the man that was there by the pool of water, and he was suspecting and hoping and expecting for an angel to come and trouble the waters and if he could get into the water first he would be healed well as we saw last week that was a Jewish superstition the Bible never says anything about that at all but that's what he had pinned his hopes on and may I say before we do that a lot of people that you meet every day have their hopes pinned and attached to things that can't do anything for them that was just water and it was probably a spring-fed pool so that every once in a while the water stirred and the assumption was it was an angel and the assumption was they would be healed if they got there first. But even if that were true, and it wasn't, but even if that were true, what chance does a paralyzed man have of getting to the water first? In other words, there he was, helpless and hopeless, and yet he was there every day. I don't know how he got there, but every day... 
and he had been suffering with this for 38 years. Yet always like crossing your fingers or knocking on wood with the hope today might be the day. And I wonder how many people you know that are pinning their hopes for eternity, their hopes for life on something that is false, something that is superstitious, something that is meaningless, something that is powerless. And so we gather here today to sing about, to pray to, and to proclaim this. Our God lives and Jesus has the power to save. And so we glorify His name. But so many people miss all of that and they don't see it. Now, we're going to be looking at something I've called Jesus Steps Across the Line. And uh, <clears throat> what made me think about that was a cartoon where Yosemite Sam, anybody remember Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny? And they were having a little thing. And uh, so every time uh, one of them would draw a line in the sand and he'd say, okay, cross that line. And the other one would step across the line. Okay, well, step across this line. I dare you to step across this line. And it went on and on and on like that. And I thought about in this situation, what we look at, we look and we say, oh, cool, the man got healed. And he got up, took up his bed and walked. Actually, when we read through all of this, this was Jesus. And the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders had drawn a line. And they said, don't you dare step across that line. And Jesus stepped across it. This was a confrontive Jesus confronting false religion, confronting superstition, confronting the emptiness of ritual. And he was uh, stepping across it in a confrontation of all of that type of thing and so we uh, look at this and we think about the bad assumptions that people make about Jesus you probably heard some of these uh, some people think that Jesus is calm passive and non-confrontive he never does anything like that at all because that would be mean that would be bullying that would be triggering and Jesus would never do anything like that they think that Jesus is always and that part would be true, always loving, but they think that he is only loving. He never has any wrath. He never has any displeasure. He never does anything like that at all. <clears throat> they think that Jesus, well, he always accepts and he affirms. After all, people say, Jesus wants you to be the best you you can be. Well, actually, Jesus wants you to die to yourself and live to him and be conformed to his image, not what you want to be and some people have an assumption that his goal is to make us happy and to live peacefully he fixes marriages he fixes relationships he makes everything the water the troubled waters go smooth in life well he can and there are times that he does do that but that's not all that he does and that's not really the goal the goal is that we might be right with him and bring glory to him and be pleasing to him some people say, well, he's the best human that ever lived, but they leave it right there, but he's only human. There was a, a statement that one person made. I've heard it attributed to Einstein, but I can't uh, verify that, that the cream of the human race is the Jew, and the cream of the Jews is Jesus Christ. Well, 
there are a lot of people who think that and they say, well, he was the greatest teacher that ever lived and all of those kind of things, but they don't see him as a savior. They don't see him as Lord or master. He's just a, a cool guy who lived a long time ago and said some really neat things. And so they have a lot of bad assumptions about Jesus Christ. Well, hopefully as we read this, it shatters some of those myths and it puts us in line with what the scripture teaches that Jesus uh, really is and uh, what he did while he was on earth. So let's look in John chapter 5 and let's begin reading at uh, verse 8. Now Jesus has found this man and uh, this man has explained his situation, remember. And so Jesus says something to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Well, we would expect that. Jesus heals people, get up, take up your bed and walk. But there was more to it as we saw just a little bit last week. Look at verse 9. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. I would expect that, wouldn't you? Now the next phrase gives us the key. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered to them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Who's the one who told you to violate our law? Verse 13. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Now afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now the man departed and told the Jews, Jewish leaders, that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more, get the, underline that, all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You know, people say from time to time, well, I don't know if Jesus is God or not because he never claimed to be God. Well, all of the other people, Jesus' contemporaries, they sure got the message, so we need to get the message as well as we think about this. So this one that people assume just always kind, always loving, kind of mealy, kind of in the background, you know, doesn't assert himself, never confronts anybody, never does anything like this. Now we find him in this story. He not only heals a guy, which is a, a very wonderful thing, a merciful thing, a kind thing that he does, but he happens to do it not on a not on a Sunday, not on a Monday, not on a Tuesday or anything like that. He does it on a Saturday. And he does it with a command. He could have said, get up off of the uh, ground and leave your bed there and take off and go to the temple and give a double tithe or something like that. But he doesn't. He specifically commands him, take up your bed and walk. Because as we saw last week, the Jewish oral commandments 
those things that they amplified during the dark period between Malachi and Matthew, they came up with all kinds of things. And they said if a man takes up a burden unintentionally, then uh, he has to make a sacrifice. But if he does it intentionally, he is to be taken out and stoned. In other words, this crippled man who was healed, when he is confronted by the Jews, his stomach jumps up into his throat. He breaks out into a cold sweat. And when they say, why are you doing this? This isn't lawful for you to carry the bed. They didn't care that he was healed. That was fine. They didn't care that he was walking. That was fine. But you better not carry your bed on the Sabbath. And this guy knew the penalty for that could be stoning. So was he healed by God only to be taken out, pushed down over a, 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 a cliff and then have rocks dropped on him? Is that all it was for? And he is terrified by all of this. And we notice that as they ask him this question, he uh, seems to be kind of passing it off. Well, I probably wouldn't have done this because I know better. But the guy who healed me told me to do it. And I thought if a guy has the power to heal, I probably ought to obey what he says to do. I mean, it really wasn't my fault. Does that remind you of anything? The woman you gave me, made me, she gave me and I ate. Who was that? Adam, yeah. Sounds like passing the buck, doesn't it? That's what I see when I read this scripture is this guy knows he is in the potential of losing his life, being stoned. And so he kind of, well, it wasn't me. It was the guy who actually healed me. Now, all of this is Jesus stepping across the line saying, yeah, I'm the one. I'm the one you're after. I'm the one you're looking for. The same thing that when they came to the garden and Jesus doesn't hide, he doesn't run, he steps out in front and he says, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he doesn't say, I think he went that way. He goes, I am he. Notice the fact that he steps up, steps forward. And even in this, he is drawing attention to himself and he is drawing attention to their man-made, speculative, legalistic rules that are burdening people down that are not in the Old Testament at all. So when they say this violates the law, they don't mean the law of Moses. They mean the law of the rabbis that they wrote during those dark period, that 400 years between uh, Malachi and Matthew. These are man-made rules. Well, don't work on the Sabbath. Huh. As I stroke their big beards much longer than mine, what do you think work would be? And they would contemplate all of that. And it was just ridiculous what all they came up with. And Jesus was confronting this. It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't the truth. It wasn't the law. It was all man-made. And so the healing of this man is not just for the man. Obviously, it benefited him. But this is Jesus stepping across the line, drawn by all of the Jewish system, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religion. And he said, I'll take the dare. And so he steps across that particular line. The first thing that we need to see is, do you understand Jesus? Yes, he is compassion, but he is also extremely confrontive. He does not tolerate sin. He does not tolerate error like that. And so he says, rise. And then he says, and while you're at it, take up your bed and walk, knowing that is going to be the point of contention. 
knowing that if anything gets them upset and gets him in trouble and causes a confrontation, which he wanted, by the way, that's why he came, it was going to be that. They would not put up that. Not impressed, as we said before, with the man being well, but the fact that how dare you carry that on the Sabbath. We told you not to do that. Take up your bed and walk. Well, that guy told me to do it, and so it's really not my fault. He did it. So he knows exactly what he is doing, calling attention to all of that. And um, if you're going to think that Jesus just... I mean, Christmas sometimes gives us a false idea about Jesus. I want you to think about Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. You might want to turn there. And this is a quote from Jesus. This is shocking to the world we live in today. It might even shock you if you're not familiar with your Bible. This is a quote from Jesus. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Did you hear that? Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake, can't leave that out, will find it. And yet we live in such a convenience-oriented world and we think that everything is supposed to... God's supposed to answer all of my prayers when I pray them, the way that I pray them, and in abundance of what I pray. And everything's supposed to be just great and it's supposed to be wonderful. After all, He's the Prince of Peace. Fix everything. Fix all of my conflicts. Don't change me. Just fix the other person and fix the situation. You ever notice how we kind of uh, do that? Have a conflict with a person and we pray for them and we pray for them and we pray for them because they need to be fixed. And sometimes the conflict carries on because God is saying, nope, it's you. It's you that need to be fixed. It's you that need to change. And we don't always see that, do we? And so we blame other people and we pass the buck on to other stuff. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you how not to do that. I came to be the Savior of the world. I came to die on a cross. I came to be crucified for your sins. And I'm going to make sure that it happens. And I'm going to start by healing this man who is paralyzed. And I'm going to have him take up his bed and walk. And that will get the attention of the Jews. And that will be the issue. I dissed them. I disrespected them and their ideas and their opinions and their laws. They were man-made, of course, and that is going to be the point of contention with them. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus does this in a way where he's not this little, skinny, feminine, uh, effeminate, wimpy guy that can't handle anything. This is power. This is strength. This is absolute confidence in the will and the plan and the purpose of God. This is who he was. This was his identity. And he is going and he has no fear 
whatsoever as he steps across the line. Compassion, yes, we see it in healing, but we also see his confrontive nature as he takes on an entire religious system that had perverted the word of God and he is standing up against it. You think Martin Luther was something in the Reformation, nothing compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, the surprising complacency of the paralyzed man. Did you, did you catch that when we read through that? <clears throat> this guy is not walking and leaping and jumping and praising God and shouting the praises of God. He's not falling at Jesus' feet saying, Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. He's not like the Samaritan leper of the 10th even. He's not like any of that. In fact, you don't find him doing much of anything at all except taking up his bed and getting ready to walk. And when he's confronted, he doesn't even know who did it. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you at least, if somebody did that for you, wouldn't you at least ask his name? Wouldn't you want some more information? Wouldn't you want to know why? Wouldn't you know what was happening? Wouldn't you want something like that? And yet this guy. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Notice how low-key all of this is. And said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, that a worse thing, that no, uh, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed. And where does he go? <clears throat> right back to Jesus' enemies. I don't know about you. But you, this raises some questions in my mind. How grateful, how thankful could this man possibly be if he is going to go back and say, oh, okay, now I know who he is. Who he is. I'm going to go turn him in. I'm going to go tattle. I'm going to go cause him more trouble. That's what it's saying here. And he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, now notice, notice the point of Scripture, this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, I find the man's complacency about all of this shocking. And I find the role that he plays in all of this to be shocking. You say, do you think the man was saved? No, I don't. I think he took the blessings and the benefits of God, but that's as far as it went. And I kind of get the idea that this paralyzed man that when he got up and he took up his bed, that the thought in his mind was, well, it's about time God did something for me. As if he deserved it. Now, folks, that is the way people live that are sitting in churches this morning all across the Bible Belt. Well, it's about time God did something for me. I've been giving tithes and offerings. I've been coming to church. I've been enduring these sermons. I've been uh, sitting around these insufferable people. And I've been doing all that long enough. It's about time he finally did something for me as if I'm the center of the universe. It's kind of the way this guy's acting. How thankful, how grateful is he? I don't know. I don't even know his name. I'm not really sure exactly what happened. Don't find anything admirable in that because I don't think there is anything admirable in it. And when he does meet Jesus and find out who he is, it's because Jesus sought him out. And then the only warning he gives him is, don't keep on sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. 
and uh, there's not a whole lot of affirmation or acceptance or joy or anything like that. The man doesn't express any praise or any gratitude or anything like that. I mean, even in the early part of the book of Acts, Peter and John are walking and they're by the gate, beautiful, and there's a beggar there and the beggar says, give me alms and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I will give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Well, that was cool, wasn't it? And what did that guy do? It says he went to the temple and he was walking and leaping and praising God. Well, you don't find that with this guy at all. Um, to his credit, he is in the temple, but it doesn't say why. And it doesn't really give us any clue as to what he is doing. It's just a low-key, kind of a passive thing. And when the man does go, oh, so you're Jesus. My name is Greg. Nice to meet you, Jesus. Thank you. And uh, yeah. And then he leaves immediately and goes and reports him. He goes and turns him in. I mean, this is something like you would see in an old World War II movie uh, about Nazi Germany, about the person who kind of makes friends with somebody and then turns them into the Gestapo or something like that. That's kind of what this has the feel of to me. So it may be just a little different than what you think, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and exactly what the result would be. And he is, again, stepping across the line. They said, we dare you, and Jesus dared, and he stepped across the line. So... Uh, this guy is just a little bit puzzling here as we read this scripture. He seems to act different than other people. Take up your bed and walk. And you'll notice here, there's no expression of joy at all in this. There's no enthusiasm. There's no thankfulness. How can I thank you? How can I serve you? Who are you? There's no curiosity about anything even. And so Jesus comes to the man again. And it gives him the warning about sin. Now, uh, what am I to think about that? Well, perhaps the paralysis was due to some kind of a sin that he had committed. Maybe it was due to a sexually transmitted disease or something like that. It doesn't say. So it could be, don't sin more or it'll be worse the next time. It could be something like that. And uh, it could be that... Um, Jesus is saying to him, okay, now that you can get up, now that you can walk, now that you can go anywhere you want to go and do anything you want to do, don't use that healing as an opportunity to do something wrong. I mean, now the guy can get up and go to a bar and get drunk. Now a guy can get up and he could kill somebody who had made fun of him. Now he could do any number of things because he had that ability. So I don't know exactly what it means if Jesus is saying, look, you ended up paralyzed because of sin. Don't make it worse. That's good advice. If you find yourself in a hole, number one, stop digging is, is the first step that you need to take. So that may be what he's saying. Or he could be saying, don't use your healing as an excuse for sin or an opportunity to sin even more. So when we read all of this, it, it never really speaks extremely well of this man that was healed, unlike other healing instances in uh, the Scripture with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, this man, I mean, he, it's almost like he can't wait to get himself off of the hook and to be in good with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to be in good with the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus. Perhaps he knew that. Perhaps he had heard them talking. Perhaps he had heard rumors even while he was paralyzed about this particular man. So this man immediately goes to Jesus' enemies and this fuels the fire. As you read this text, what this guy did, it was just throwing 
wood on the fire, making it hotter, and they began to persecute Jesus. And again, it wasn't about the healing. They're not disputing that. They're not saying anything about that at all. They're ignoring that, which is kind of strange to me, and going to the point that he uh, violated one of our, well, let's call it what it is, one of our traditions, one of our opinions, one of our ideas, not really violating Scripture at all. <clears throat> and so uh, this is where we are so far. What's going to happen about this? Well, number three, you'll notice that Jesus gave a clear answer. And you know, some people don't like truth, and sometimes truth can get you into a lot of trouble. <clears throat> but when he's confronted, excuse me, <clears throat> this weather is killing me. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now. Now, notice what he did. If he just said, God has always been at work, they would have probably said, Oi, man, oi, man. That's amen in their language. And, um, but he didn't. He has to use this phrase. My father has been working until now. Well, that got them all rankled up, didn't it? And then he says, and, that's a connecting word, and I have been working. So when they heard him answer that, you and I read that and we go, amen, that's great, praise God. They looked at that and they said, how dare he? Did you hear what he said? And somebody go, no, I kind of missed that. He called God his father. He ought to be stoned. He ought to be put to death for blasphemy. They sought to kill him, is what the Bible says. Right, And then he has the audacity to say, my father's been working, you have no complaints about that. What does that mean? Well, when we think about it, it means that God the Father, even though it says back in Genesis he rested on the Sabbath, he didn't quit doing everything or the galaxies would have collided and the world would have gone out of control and everything would have been uh, killed because he holds it all together. What he meant on that is he just ceased from his work, from the work of creation. And he didn't stop doing everything. Think about it. Even they would have known, my father is working till now. Well, babies are born on the Sabbath. That's a work of God, a gift of God. People die on the Sabbath. That's by the hand of God as well. There are all kinds of things. The sun rises, the sun sets, even on the Sabbath. The wind blows, the temperature is either warm or cold. It may rain or something like that. All of that happens on the Sabbath, and we call those things the works of God. Even your insurance policy will talk about covering things that are acts of God. Okay, And so Jesus is saying, how come you don't have a problem with God working on the Sabbath? And by the way, he's my father. Oh, that just, get a rock. Get a rock. And then he said, my father is working. He only sees from certain things. And so am I. Because you can't heal a paralyzed man, can you? Well, of course I couldn't. And that was the implication. He didn't have to say it. All I'm doing is the work of the father i am working just like my father works and in another passage he would say oh and by the way my father and i are lord or master over the sabbath the sabbath doesn't master us is it unlawful to do good on the sabbath well they couldn't answer that but they said yeah but you can't take up your bed and walk 
And if Jesus had just let that off, none of this would have happened. If Jesus had just said, rise up and walk, but it's the Sabbath, don't pick up your bed, none of this would have happened, except Jesus wanted it to happen. This is under his control. He's playing by his rules, not theirs. And so he says, rise up, walk. Oh, by the way, pick up your bed while you're at it and do it right out here in the open where everybody is going to see you. It's time for a showdown. It's time for a confrontation. Let's get this ball rolling. I came here to die. Let's get the show on the road. He might have said something like that. Okay? Now, when he says, my father, they understood what he said. They understood he was saying, my works and the God's works are the same. And the God that you worship, that you say you know so much about, just happens to be my Father. I have His nature, and I am sent by Him. I relate to Him, and I am one with Him. And so they understood it, and they knew <clears throat> exactly what He meant. And we look and we see how they took it, and we know what is happening. Number four, the consequences were chosen. I said last week, and I said in my best uh, Curly of the Three Stooges voice, you remember, that he was not a victim of circumstances, as Curly would say. No. Jesus did not come to earth with a mission, as some people say, some cults say. And he came down here and he's going to make the earth better and families better and marriages better and bring peace and everything was going to be in harmony and we'd all hold hands. And Do you remember that old Coke commercial? You know, they're all holding hands, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, and then it ends up saying, I'd like to buy the world a Coke, you know, and all of that, as if Coke is the answer here. And um, some people think that's what Jesus came to do, but uh, just couldn't quite do it. He couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth, and he couldn't make people happy, and then pretty soon the ball got rolling, and uh, I think about... Uh, cartoon day here rocky and bullwinkle and you remember when they start rolling down the hill and the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and some people think that's the way it was with jesus he was just out of control things got more than he could handle and he ended up dying on a cross well that didn't bring peace and that didn't bring the love and the joy and all of that so it went wrong so people like uh, reverend moon some of you are old enough to remember when moonies were at the airports everywhere you went. Uh, Reverend Moon was from South Korea and he said that he was going to do what the first Adam couldn't do and what the second Adam, Jesus, couldn't do. He had been sent by God to complete it and to do it. It's what people think. I didn't make that up. That's what they think. And so the idea is that Jesus was just caught up in all of this and it got to be more than he could handle. That's what they think. And so, tragically, he died. Man, if he had lived another 20, 30, 40 years, just think of what he could have done. But he just didn't have enough time. And it got away from him. And he couldn't, uh, the system was too big for him. And we've got to carry on his work and his teachings and all of that. Well, let me reiterate point number four. The consequences were chosen. This was the plan of God. And it says, therefore, the Jews sought to, uh, sought all the more to kill him. You know what that tells me? They already wanted to. Now they were more determined. They were doubling down on it, we might say. And because he not only broke the Sabbath, that was bad enough, but also said that God was his father. Now look at this. Here's the explanation. Making himself equal with God. 
Well, we can't have that, can we? Even though it was true. We can't have that because what would people think of us? And what would all of our religious activities and ideas and opinions and thoughts and legalisms and rules, what would happen to all of those if a guy is walking on earth who is equal with God? And no wonder Jesus had pulled things like, you've heard it said, referring to the rabbinical law, but I say to you, as if he were superior to the law of the rabbis. Jesus wasn't saying I'm superior to everything that has been written before. He's saying I'm superior to your man-made laws, traditions, and religions. Well, we can't have that, can we? So Jesus confronted this system and uh, he confronted the superstition of the culture. There's no angel that's going to heal you. Oh, but I can. And uh, he also took man's rules. Well, you can't pick up anything above a certain weight at a certain time. Even your bed, you can't take it and put it away. So he confronted man's rules and uh, the fact that they were making them equal with God's word. As if God's still adding to his word. As if God didn't say it clear enough. As if God wasn't plain enough. We've got to have a new book. We've got to have new rules. We've got to have new stuff that we add to all of that. And you better do it, by the way, or you will die in the meantime. And uh, here Jesus is confronting the fact that they all thought he was just a mere man. Just this man came by and did this. Well, this is not just a mere man. This is God. And so the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders sought all the more to kill him. And you know what? That is exactly what Jesus intended to happen. He was going to stir the pot. He was going to shake things up to the point that something was going to happen. They would either bow before him, but of course they weren't going to do that, or they would decide that they had to get rid of him and to kill him. And so uh, he was going against them in all ways. It kind of reminds me of uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 26, the disciples get into trouble for their preaching and uh, they're put in prison and then an angel comes and lets them out and uh, what do they do they go back to preaching again and get into more trouble so they're arrested again and it says then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people lest they should be stoned that's a roman by the way and when they had brought them they set them before the council. Now the council is the Jews, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. And the high priest asked them saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Isn't that a great statement for an uneducated fisherman type guy? That is powerful. We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers, verse 10, raised up Jesus, whom, by the way, you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be a prince 
and a Savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things. And also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. You know what Peter was saying? We're not accountable to you. They weren't trying to start a revolution. They weren't doing anything like that to just kind of go in their face. They were just simply saying, we have a higher authority. And we can't help, they would say in another place, but speak of the things we have seen and heard. So Christian, how about you? Have you taken up the idea that Jesus just is a laissez-faire, pacifistic type person and just keep quiet, stay in the shadows, don't draw attention to yourself and don't live your faith out, just keep it between you and God and be private? That's why this country is in the mess that it's in. Christians have gone quiet. We've gone dark. And we're stealth Christians. We need to quit that. And we need to be bold. Now, we don't need to be angry and we don't need to be jerks or anything like that. But when they draw a line in the sand, step across it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the gospel is the only thing that is going to set men and women, boys and girls free from the power of sin and take them to heaven. I mean, it's just true. Jesus came down as God in human flesh and he lived an absolutely perfect life. Everything he did, thought, everything he was motivated by was perfect. And yet they hated him for all of that. And they put him on a cross and they killed him. And God the Father said, I will accept his sacrifice as the payment for sins because it is the only perfect sacrifice. I mean, let's just think about it. Bring an unblemished lamb to the altar. Can I ask you a question? You think there really is any such thing? There are some that are less blemished, some that appear to be perfect, but they're not really perfect. There's only one perfect sacrifice, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, and now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's going to return one of these days at any time, but even if he doesn't return in your lifetime, you're going to die, and you're going to stand before him, and then you're going to find out he's not the Jesus you thought he was. All judgment has been committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, will you ever hear about it. Can you imagine? You're going to be terrified when you stand before Him. Unless you confess Him now as Lord. And unless you trust Him now as the full payment for your, of your sins. And you surrender your life to Him. If you haven't done that, my prayer is that you would do that today. You'll find Him to be merciful, kind, gracious that he receives sinners like us that he was even called to be a friend of sinners and if you'll trust him and be born again you'll indeed be his friend and he will be your friend and what an amazing thing that's going to be throughout this life and for an eternity in heaven will you trust him today and if you uh, have trusted him then my question is are you serving him are you standing up for him are you being bold for him? Are you trusting that he is in control of your life and in control of society and that your purpose is to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ? You represent him in a lost, dark, dying, hostile, combative world. And yet we stand for the truth because we don't stand on our own authority. We stand on the authority of Jesus Christ. And he sets the example for us. 
So as we think about this and think about this story, what was really going on? Jesus was stepping across the line they were drawing, but maybe even to an extent, Jesus was drawing the line himself, wasn't he? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. May we pray together? Lord, as we think about this and think about this story, maybe there's more to it than just a guy who could go home. Maybe there's more to it than just a guy who could go to work. Maybe there was just more to it than a guy who could actually walk and go places and be mobile and do things for himself. That's all wonderful, and I thank you for your power to do that. But even more so, this was Jesus kind of confronting an entire religion that it apostatized saying there is truth and you're not it I am the truth and I am the way and I'm drawing the line here and I dare you to step across it and then when they drew a line he dared to step across it so that he could be the sacrifice for our sins maybe Jesus is different than what we have thought help us to see and to know the Jesus of the Bible the Jesus of the Word of God so that we are following the Jesus as portrayed in Scripture. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for just the guts you had to confront a whole system there, knowing what it was going to cost, because you were the one that determined the cost and the consequences. And we praise you for that. You didn't back down or back away. Thank you for doing that for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.